Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales. Before we meet this week's guest, I want to tell you about a bipolar, a schizophrenic, and a podcast that I host with the spectacular Michelle Hammer. Unlike the show you're listening to now, we don't feature guest experts and, well, we swear. It's a vulnerable look into the lives of two people living with mental illness. Listen to a bipolar, a schizophrenic, and a podcast at psychcentral.com BSP or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Everyone, I would like you to welcome our guest today, Kate Swoboda, also known as Kate Courageous. She's the founder and director of the Courageous Living Coach Program. She's a life coach, corporate trainer. She focuses on women and leadership. Welcome to our show, Kate. Oh, it's great to be here. We are glad to have you. So the first question that we want to ask before we get started on all the technical stuff is why Kate Courageous? Where'd that name come from? (laughs) I mean, it kind of ties to the whole how did courage become my obsession thing. You know, years ago, before I was doing any of the things I was doing right now, I was a teacher, I had summers off, and I didn't make a lot of money, as teachers tend not to do, but I got it in my head that I really, really, really wanted to go to Italy for the summer. So I scrimped and saved and took on extra work to get enough money together to be able to go, and I I often say it was, you know, a great gift, actually, when I had this you know, wet blankety person say something to the effect of, well, you know, that's nice, but not everybody can do that. And the great gift was that I happened to know a little bit about the person's financial situation and their paid vacation time and all sorts of resources that they had at their disposal. And I didn't have those same resources. I was literally taking a financial hit to take the summer off of teaching and had had to save up all the money and, you know, still pay rent on my apartment back in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a ridiculously expensive place to live. And something connected for me that the desire had not been different, that the willingness to endure the discomfort of being afraid or what if this doesn't work out or, you know, what if you're the first person in the history of the world to go to Italy and not like it? You never know, right? (laughs) Like gelato doesn't work for everybody. So... (laughs) What? <laughs> um, I connected. Yeah, yeah. I connected at that moment to the idea that courage had been behind a lot of the big moves that I'd made, and that courage wasn't about trying not to be afraid. It was about being totally afraid and going, "I'm going to do this anyway." And that's when I don't know, Kate Courageous popped into my head, and I kind of liked it as it seemed like a superhero name and kind of fun, and I I just kind of you know, bought the domain name and, and then here we are. That's <laughs> um, awesome. Right. A decade later. Yeah. Vin and I love superheroes. It's kind of our thing. Great. It's definitely yeah, a better superhero name than Captain Underpants. So. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the underpants. <laughs> Suppose that's true. Very true. In taking what you just said, you know, you mentioned fear. And I know that in your practice, you, you talk a lot about fear-based habits. Can you speak to that mm-hmm. a little bit? Yeah, I, I started to really have a shift around how I was looking at 
how we practice courage, maybe not so much a shift as a, a resynthesizing, uh, like, you know, realizing that certain seemingly disconnected or only loosely related parts actually had this brain-based place in, in terms of how they, they come out in our lives. I was working on the book, The Courage Habit. I had inked the deal with my publisher. Initially, it was, you know, how do we actually practice courage as a habit? Like, oh, it's just great to practice it day to day. And I began reading a lot more around that time about the neuropsychology of habit formation. Like, how is it that habits become encoded in the brain and then they become the behaviors that we default to? And as I was unpeeling more and more, I was getting pretty excited because I started to realize that certain things like, like for years I had been saying, I think that practicing courage is about feeling afraid, deciding to dive in anyway, which is a different response than shutting down or hiding out because you're afraid and then transforming with the idea being that your life isn't perfect, but that every single time you decide to meet your fear with deciding to dive in anyway, you transform, you shift just a little bit. And then I started to see that there was this link between that and habit formation and how habit formation works in the brain. So habit formation works on a cue, routine, reward loop. You feel the cue of fear. You go into a particular routine to get to a certain reward and to the brain that's always whatever reduces stress. So as I began to see these, these things link up, it was like, oh, the courage habit, sure, it works on the level of let's do this every day. But it also actually works on this like really cool, I'm going to geek out on like what the brain has to do with why we do what we do in our lives. And I loved it. I want to make sure that I understand correctly. So my question is, are you, are you sort of saying that when you're afraid of something, it's really just discomfort? It's, and, and by retraining your brain, for lack of a better word, you're able to move through that discomfort and get to the desired goal on the other end. I'm kind of saying that. So though okay. for sure, phob phobias are real. Fear is, is, of course, proportionate. If I was standing in the middle of um, a war zone, that's a very, very different fear than if I am asking someone out to coffee sometime and maybe they might say no because they think I'm a loser. So I'm more hanging out in the zone of emotional fears that people have that have to do with esteem rather than fears that people have about, you know, their bodily safety or fears that have to do with psychological phobias. But in terms of the process, I'm saying that on an emotional level, someone and the research that I, you know, found and that was included in the book bore this out, someone can feel insecure or feel a lack of confidence about going after something that they want and that there are these these habits that we actually get into I identify four predominant ones that are fear routines and if we can recognize when we're going into them and make a conscious choice to practice a different behavior the exciting proposition is that that different behavior that more courageous behavior could become the new courage habit it's interesting that you you mentioned that because in recent years I've looked over my history of screwing my life up. And I've realized that <laughs> a lot of the things that I have done or more accurately have not done were because of fear. And it was kind of a revelation mm -hmm. to, to discover that because I never really regarded myself as, as being 
that fearful of things, but, but it really was true. I would imagine that a lot of people are the same way that they say, well, I'm not, I'm not really afraid of stuff. And, and then, you know, you point out, Oh yeah, you are. (laughs) I mean, I try to be nice about it, but Oh yeah, you are. (laughs) Yeah. That's a very common response that I hear. It's either the people who go, you know, I'm not really afraid of anything. And then, then the people who are very like, Oh yeah. I'm afraid of a lot of things and fear shuts down my life. And I try to encourage people to actually use different names for their fear. I mean, okay. All right. You don't want to call it fear. That's probably not the name that I would use a lot of times for my own experience of fear. Probably it would be self doubt or Mm. overwhelm. I call mine Gabe. Like (laughs) (laughs) you have named your fear Gabe. That's, 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 that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I, I do think there's, there's something that you always read about when people ask older people questions and they say, you know, what do you regret? And, and the, the common answer is they regret the things that they were afraid to do because they've realized now that they're near the end of their lives that it just wasn't that big of a deal. It's the things they thought were big risks weren't very big risks. Does that play into your thinking? Is that a part of it? Or is that just a good analogy for what you're working on to help people move past the fear and have the courage to go after their goals. I think that's a really great example of what it can look like when someone's fear routines are running on autopilot in their life and they don't realize it until way, way later because they haven't been conscious about it. And the four fear routines I talk about in the book are really common. We all do all of them, but usually one is more of a hook than the others. And they are, perfectionism, people-pleasing or martyrdom, pessimism, and self-sabotage. So my guess would be that that person who looks back on their life later and their only regret are the chances they didn't take would be that they're going on that same cue, routine, reward loop that all of us are on until we're paying attention. So we feel the fear and maybe they went into self-sabotage. And the reward that they get in the short term, of course, is that if you're afraid of going after some kind of big risk or going after a dream or changing your marriage or deciding to make that first phone call to a therapist to say, I need help or whatever it is that you're afraid of or that you have self-doubt around, whatever word you want to use, they're feeling that too. But then they go into the fear pattern of, say, pessimism. They get the reward of the intimidation factor goes down is way more comfortable to disappear into a haze of Netflix than it is to pitch yourself out for something or be emotionally available. (laughs) But the, you know, the premise that I operate under and that I've seen happen in my own life and, and am trying to share is this idea that like in the same way that someone might go, gosh, but the, you know, the, the pattern of self-sabotage or pessimism, it just comes over me. It feels like it's something I don't even have control over. And again, that's on a scale too. Humans are complicated. But the idea is to look at where's your entry point where you do have control and then how can you practice any of the four specific behaviors that in the Courage Habit book I found research indicates. You do these and you start to emerge over time more emotionally resilient. And because you can form them as habits, they become easier and easier to turn to as a default. I'd like to, to focus in on one of those, those four traits, which is specifically pessimism. 
when I was much younger, I would, I would consider that I was probably optimistic, perhaps overly optimistic in life. But in more recent years, I've, I've looked at myself and realized, you know, I am pretty pessimistic about certain things. And I, I don't think this was a, a natural state for me, but over the years of, of becoming disillusioned with, with many aspects of life, I think it's just sort of taken root in me. And that worries me because I don't want to be that person. Yeah. So then, I mean, my question would be, yeah, I don't know anything about your background, but I'd be very curious about what sorts of things were like the fork in the road, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you know, I'm, I just give like an example that I'll commonly hear if someone's dating. It's like you can have any number of bad dates, but if there's one that's just like really bad, that's when somebody's going to be like, okay, I'm officially very pessimistic about the state of dating right now. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's not true for everybody. I, I pepper a lot of like disclaimers about maybe this isn't true for everybody. And I'll, I'll just leave my last one in the show and everybody can assume that for the rest of our conversation. But it's, it's this thing of going, okay, is there an event that really precipitated that change? And then also where's that become a habit? Where's it become a habit because it's like, okay, like I see the same stuff on the news that I'm guessing you see. And it, particularly around social change, that's, I think pessimism is one of the biggest issues that keeps social change from happening. So that's one of the things where I'm like, okay, you got you to gotta look at that and go, all of us need to look at that and then go, where is it that pessimism is derailing what I want for my life or for my, the people I love or for the community or the world that I live in? And how do I interrupt that so that I don't create a stronger habit of pessimism? How do I interrupt that and do more practice behaviors that actually bolster my resilience? So how does one interrupt that? I mean, if you get into the habit of something, how do you make that change? All right. So if we're talking about how does someone do this, one of the big things that I think is important is actually first recognizing and getting clear on which of the fear patterns is the one that's most likely to hook you. Because I I tend to be of the mind that we got to look at the stuff we really don't want to look at rather than jump to a bunch of techniques. Because if we're not looking at the stuff that got us here in the first place, or if we aren't able to recognize what it is that we do that gets in the way, we're not going to be able to shift anything. Um, And I'll just say like outing myself. I mean, my predominant fear pattern is definitely perfectionism. If I'm not aware that that is something that can go into overdrive and hobble me, then I'm totally going to, you know, sabotage inadvertently my ability to practice any new habit, right? I'm going to go into overwork or I'm going to create standards that are way too high that I could never meet, stuff like that. So with the courage habit, I'm talking about synthesizing what the research shows are really the top four behaviors you want to start to practice. And you can practice one of them, but all of them together are really important. And the courage habit is accessing the body. Um, that's because fear lives in the body. It's, it's not logical. It's primal. So we need to deal with it in the body. Listen without attachment. So instead of trying to avoid the internalized critic or the voice that says you're not enough, what's the point? We actually need to listen, but we do need to make sure we're not letting that voice call the shots. 
we need to, three, reframe limiting stories. So this is like a, a common, I'm not talking about law of attraction positive affirmation stuff. I'm talking about cognitive diffusion and cognitive reframing, which draws from multiple psychotherapeutic disciplines, dialectical behavior therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, narrative therapy. And then we need to last for reach out and create community. Because the simple fact is that you won't read my book or do anybody's therapy or anybody's work anywhere in the world and then emerge perfect. These fear patterns do come up again. We've practiced them for a long time and we're not meant to do it alone. And so when you have a community where you can go, I noticed this and this and this is coming up in my life and there are people who also share similar values you know, I've got friends who, who can really help me to parse out the difference between like the kind of hustle that is just reflective of my ambition and the kind of hustle that is all about not enoughness and endless perfectionism and approval seeking. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face -face session. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash psych central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. Betterhelp.com forward slash psych central. I'm not sure if we read this on your website or if I just made a note of it, but it seems like you're focused on pragmatic solutions and not just generalities. Now, is that, is that something that I read from you or is that just something that I've picked up on in my research into you? I dig pragmatism. So you could have read it or you could have picked it up. Yeah, I'm into the, like, what's the tool that you can actually use to make your life better? Like as a mother, if I'm having the worst parenting day ever, reciting affirmations might kind of help, but accessing the body and giving myself a moment to like breathe or scream into a towel, more effective. Or when that voice comes up that tells me you're not a very good mom, you're doing it all wrong, listening, but then going, ah, I know what this voice is. I'm going to listen without attachment. I'm not going to then believe that this voice is true you know, reaching out and creating community, calling a friend, you know, these are all things that like, if I'm having the worst parenting day in the world, these are tools. If I'm pitching out my book proposal, these are tools. If I'm trying to improve my marriage, these are tools that I can use because when the fear comes up and it feels so awful or the voice inside says you're wrong, you're not doing it right. I need some way to actually work with that experience in real time. That is really, really cool. One of the, in addition to everything that we've been talking about, I know that one of the things that you do is you're a, a corporate event trainer. So you're a, you're a corporate trainer for events. So now here's a whole bunch of employees. They're, they're sitting in a room, you walk out and you're explaining to them what you're doing and how it will help them in your careers. How does that work? And how is that different from the book? Well, the number one way that I've found that people actually want to talk to me in a corporate capacity is about improving relationships among employees. So a lot of what, <laughs> what we're really trying to do is like, how do we get people to get along better so that everybody is 
feeling a little bit cleaner in their communication. There aren't resentments that start to pile up. And that uh, particularly who I end up often talking to are project managers or middle managers who are people who have demands from the people they report to, but the people they report to who are above them don't necessarily understand what the people that the project manager or the person in the middle is trying to delegate to are going through. The people at the top just want results, you know, and then the people who are being delegated to have a whole host of different things they're bringing into the workplace. So that's been predominantly what people have thought because the understanding that I try to get across when I'm in any kind of a corporate arena is that regardless of the problem that comes up, um, whether it's low profitability or a supply chain issue or, 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 if people are not actually getting along and if they don't feel good about coming to work, <laughs> they're, they're not very interested in finding the solutions to those problems. So how the, the work that I do in a corporate capacity differs is that we're really talking about organizational change and focusing on relationships for that organizational change. And the courage habit as a book is really emphasizing your personal life. Like, like what is it that you want to change in your life? But with that said, I'd say where they end up having something in common is that, you know, for the organization to change, they've got to look at what's not working and what's become habitual within the organization. And I think that's true for people as well. What's not working in your life, what's become a habit, because that habitual way of being is what's probably making it harder to change and an interruption is needed. I like that. I like that very much. And I think a, a lot of corporations can certainly benefit from understanding that at the end of the day, they're dealing with people. And if people in, aren't in yeah. the mood to do a better job or get along, it is unlikely that any rule they put in place is going to do it. So I, I like what you're saying there. Very cool. Very Can cool. you please come with me next time anybody is <laughs> wanting to know what I do and why I, I would emphasize relationships rather than like the, the 10, you know, employee time hacks for, to improve productivity and efficiency. Are, are <laughs> you, you telling so well. me, Thank you. <laughs> are you telling me that the 10 employee time hacks to improve efficiency that I read on the internet is not, it's not the end all be all like that's not enough to fix my company. I, I don't believe It'll you. Work. I just, you blew my mind. <laughs> work smarter, work Gabe, not harder. <laughs> I can't just right, forward right. that out, you know, hashtag be better. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me to be someone, an astonishingly high proportion of, of people who come to, I'm, I'm the director of a coach training program, and an astonishingly high number of people who come to uh, quit their high paying corporate careers to start over in life and midlife often with children and a mortgage as a, you know, a life coach are people who they worked themselves into exhaustion for their employers and their employers routinely did not appreciate who they were or their ideas or implementing change was just a glacial process or, 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 I mean, it really speaks to the problem of people not really valuing those who are in their organizations, I think, because, you know, if you got somebody who's put 10 years in at your company and they're willing to quit all of that and all that security to become a, a coach and go out on their own, 
you know, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> That's what I say. That's what I say. And I've seen that so much at, at different companies over the years. It's, it's just astounding to me that they can't see it themselves. Yeah. Some of them are, and that's good. Um, leadership development is becoming a new um, HR role that I'm seeing in the corporate sphere where there's actually somebody there whose entire job is, well, it's a salaried version of what I sometimes get hired to come in and do, which is to really connect with people, to identify organizational problems, to try to give people training that matches the personal and the professional. All right, we are about out of time. So let me end with this. If you want our listeners to, to walk away from this with, with one thing that will help them, what would that one thing be? That the fear or self-doubt or whatever name you want to put on it for yourself that you feel is not something to pathologize. It's not a sign that you're doing it wrong and all these other people who seem so confident are doing it right. You're actually completely normal. I feel fear. We all feel fear. And the opportunity before you is simply to look at how you handle the fear that you feel and see if there's a place where you want to handle it differently. Thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on the show. Where can our listeners find you and your book? Well, Courage Habit is um, on Amazon. And of course, I like to say find booksellers everywhere. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you can also find me at yourcourageouslife.com. And my coach training program is at teamclcc.com. Very cool. Thank you so much for being on our show. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling absolutely free anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psych central. We'll see everybody next week. Thank you for listening to the psych central show. Please rate review and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counselor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.